Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you had a good weekend. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Monday, September the 25th. Coming up, you can hear from the stars of one of Kent's pantos this Christmas. Yeah, we're there already. Plus reaction from the Gillingham boss after their trip to Doncaster Rovers at the weekend. But first, three hostels for homeless people in Gravesend and Northfleet are set to close. The House of Mercy charity has supported people in the towns for more than 30 years, but has simply run out of cash. Around Around 20 people could end up on the streets as a result of the move. Well, I've been speaking to Michael Donovan, who's vice chairman of trustees. The Sisters of Mercy, who set up the uh, the charity in the first place, um, kindly kept us going with very significant donations of money, but that could not continue. And we have now uh, the other thing that hasn't helped, of course, is the cost of living crisis, cost of energy, and um, the uh, the amount we get from Gravesham for each person for housing benefit, which is another part of our income, has not kept pace with those matters. So increasing uh, inflation and so on and so forth. So we've been doing our utmost to raise more money. We would need a huge injection of cash and that, frankly, we haven't been able to find anybody, no great surprise, that would be able to help us with that. I actually did some um, calculations a while ago and on the basis of were we to receive a donation of £900,000, for example, it could potentially keep us going for seven years. So that just gives you an idea of the size of the challenge. How do you feel about it, Michael? You've helped these people for an awfully long time. You've kept the charity going, as you say. We've, we're facing some very difficult times at the moment. But how how do you feel personally about it? I'm very disappointed that we've had to reach this position. Um, yes, if I could wave a wand, <laughs> obviously, I, I, I would do just that. But um, no, we, we don't have any major um, potential donors and um, yes I'm really disappointed for the clients we still have at the hostels and of course for the staff um, and disappointed for the people who supported us over the years with money with groceries with bedding and things like that but uh, yeah that we we finally reached this position but there are other hostels out there which probably don't have the same ethos as as the house of mercy um it was set up with a no drink no drugs um arrangement but it didn't just provide people with a roof over their heads it set out to reintegrate them into, into society so we would help them get medical assistance dental assistance help them with um obtaining housing benefit um we would help them to find jobs, we would help them find training, things like that, um, which I don't think any other homeless charity or other homeless organisation has ever done. So, yeah, I'm really disappointed. We've done a, a great job for over 30 years, but my involvement is less than that, and not a, not a lot, Matt. Um, 
And it's, yeah, it's just such a great shame to let it go. A spokesman for Gravesham Council has said that our housing options team is working with the House of Mercy to ensure we minimise the impact of the closure. They go on to say we have a duty to provide advice and assistance and all affected will be invited to discuss their situation with us. At this stage, we're unable to comment generally on whether accommodation will be provided as this will be determined on a case-by-case basis after individual assessments have been carried out. And they end by saying a full breakdown of all the options available will be discussed with all those who accepted our invitation to talk through their personal situation with us. Well, you can read Alan Smith's report in full today by heading to kentonline.co.uk. He's also been chatting to some of those who use the service. Kent Online News. Other top stories now and a uni student from Gravesend who got behind the wheel after smoking cannabis has been given a driving ban. Max Omnu was pulled over over by police in Strood in February and found to be over the drug drive limit. The 19-year-old from Hardy Avenue in Norfleet has also been ordered to pay more than £160. Four fire engines have been caused to ablaze in a derelict pub in Herne Bay. Crews had to use hydraulic cutting equipment to get into the former Share and Coulter building on Owls Hatch Road yesterday. They spent more than seven hours tackling the flames. It's unclear how it started. Meantime, firefighters have spent 12 hours fighting a blaze in a vehicle recycling centre in Thanet. Crews were called to reclamate on Woodchurch Road in Birchington yesterday morning. Now, a Northfleet woman who owns an XL bully has joined a protest in London after plans were announced to ban the breed. The Prime Minister made the decision after a spate of attacks. Well, campaigners gathered in Westminster on Saturday. Shell West was one of them. He is my daughter's best friend and my daughter would be absolutely heartbroken if she couldn't keep him, if she lost him, if he had to wear a muzzle. And she's already heartbroken just at what people are saying because she sees her best friend. Um, And it's just so important. We don't have a repeat of 91 and the Pitbulls. Um, And it's just the wrong way to do things. People are to blame. People that are breeding for the wrong reasons, breeding, using their dogs as cash cows and and mutilating the breed essentially this is what an XL bully looks like what they should look like and how they should behave and what's he like as a personality this pretty much he needs lots of loving lots of cuddles always needs to be touching will follow me everywhere I can't go to the bathroom alone and him again with my daughter when she gets up in the morning, he inspects her. She goes over and he sniffs her head to bottom just to make sure she's okay and make sure she's all right. And uh, he pines when she's not here. So he just is admittedly 40 kilos of muscle, but it's also 40 kilos of love. And there is no word to define them other than soppy. Kent Online reports. People living near a bungalow in Herne Bay that's been derelict for 30 years say it's led to an infestation of rats. Residents and estate agents say the property on Westcliff Gardens is affecting other house prices. The local council said they couldn't reveal why it's not been brought back into use, but you can head to Kent Online today to see pictures and how, in fact, the property has deteriorated over the years. This is one of our most read stories on the site today. Plans have been unveiled to turn a former Grade 2 list 
twisted village pub into a takeaway. The Plough and Harrow in Bridge near Canterbury dates back to the 1830s but closed last December. If it's given the go-ahead, it would open from midday until 10 at night, seven days a week, but it has split opinion among residents. It can read in full what they think within the story. An art school and youth club in Kent are getting money from the government's levelling up fund. £400,000 has been given to Margate School for essential repairs. Dartford Gym and Youth Club is getting nearly 250000 for a refurb to restore it as a space for the local community. Next today, an Kent woman has joined an MS Society campaign to call for an overhaul of the disability payment system. Sharina Aitken-Gray says there are a number of hoops you have to jump through to be able to claim the personal independence payment, but for someone with MS, it can be incredibly difficult. Now, the 31-year-old has lost the use of her right hand and she's been speaking to Kate about the difficulties of things like filling out forms. It's not a simple process. The application is very, very long. Um, It's pages and pages and pages. And the questions that they're asking you, there's two components, I should say, um, daily living and then mobility. So they're split into two sections of this form. And each one of those sections is probably about like 40, maybe 50 questions long, which is really like, when you think about it, when you apply for a job, you do an application, that's really long sometimes. I would always feel like, oh my gosh, an application where they want me to write things and and explain things. And to do that when you're going through something quite serious, a, a health condition and things are going wrong and you've got to fill out all of these pages. Now, when I first did the um, form, it was someone else did it for me. I was going to the Kent um, Therapy Centre and they had someone there to support, which is wonderful. But if you don't have that help, you have to do that all yourself. It's not just question and answers for someone, like jotting things down and writing it for you, making sense of it. You've really got to analyse everything that you're saying, make sure what you're writing makes sense, is punctual, like punctuation, things like that. It's, I feel like it's a bigger deal than people just saying, oh, there's a couple of questions. It's not a couple of questions because you really have to pay attention. And for people with multiple sclerosis, cognitive function is quite difficult, some more than others. Myself, I'm I'm like in the middle. So it can be hard sometimes and sometimes it can be okay. And that's one of the tricky things with PIP is that they will never know what your issues are when you're filling out this form, but the form is the same for everybody. So it can be quite challenging. Um, Yeah, what else would I want to say? But what about from a what about from a physical point of view? Like you were saying, it's a it's a paper application, physically holding a pen and putting a pen yeah, to paper. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So sorry. Um, writing, doing the actual form again takes a lot of physical capabilities because, like myself, I when I first um, applied, I could actually write, even though I didn't do it myself. I could write with a pen. Now I can't do that. So in 2017, when I reapplied, I couldn't hold a pen and I couldn't handwrite. So I couldn't fill out the form, essentially. So I thought, okay, what is the other way that I can do this? I don't have support. Um, My husband's working full time, no family in Kent at all. So I'm literally on my own to do this. And 
I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to type out every single question. And then I had to then cut out every question, bearing in mind, I, my function in my hands are not good. So even cutting those things out was tricky and then stick them on the application form to be sent away. This is all in a timed period. They have a certain um, a date that you need to fill this out and send it back to them. So I think the application took me three, maybe more, I can't remember, but it was a long process. Firstly, writing it all out, um, typing it all out, and I was doing it one finger at a time because I don't have the, the fine motor skills in my right hand, which is what I write with. So it was just really a long, gruelling process um, to then be... Yeah, denied. has been denied payment support for help with her mobility, but says she's too frustrated by the system to appeal. The MS Society says the assessment process is costing people their time, health and independence. Kent Online reports. A Royal Navy sailor from Deal who attacked three women has avoided being punished because of his job. Harley Moore shot his girlfriend with a BB gun before assaulting her, one of her friends and a worker in a Weatherspoons. The 18-year-old from Celtic Road is currently serving on board HMS Prince of Wales, so is given a conditional discharge by magistrates. Three more Wilco stores in Kent are going to close for the final time today. Shops in Dartford, Ramsgate and Strood are among more than 100 shutting this week. The Gillingham shop will go on Wednesday, followed by Gravesend on Friday. Now, a self-employed builder has been handed an invoice of £24,000 after disturbing a power main while working on land near Swanley. This was one of our most read stories over the weekend. Mark Staples was installing fence posts at a property in Hextable when he accidentally knocked out power to the whole village. He says it's caused him psychological damage, which has been made worse by the bill from UK Power Networks. We had to put concrete posts in the ground because there used to be brick walls there. And we dug for one of the posts, which was on the corner of the property. And Basically, we'd gone down about a metre and we struck something hard. So I retrieved my Kango concrete breaker, literally started going into the concrete, no more than two inches, and all of a sudden it went bang. I assumed it was actually my breaker at first. It turned out that we'd hit a power main on my sister's property. And I'm assuming, you know, you're a builder by trade, you don't expect that kind no, of thing no. to be that sort of shallow in, in the no, ground either. No, we, we <clears throat> it was private land and no, we, in, you know, never ever thought we would hit a power main, um, be it the main power cable that serves the whole village. So how many volts is going through that? There's approximately 11,000 volts runs through it. Um, as I said, it shorted out the whole of the village of Hextable. And what happened then? I think the, you know, you said the sort of UK Power Networks engineers came out. Um... Yeah, they attended the scene. They spoke to my brother-in-law. He dealt with all of that because he owns the property. Uh, I had a brief conversation with a member of their staff, and then I had to go to hospital for tests. Um, yeah, I had ECGs, blood pressure, bloods. Um, you know, to see if I was okay. Physically okay. Well, <laughs> I was physically okay, um, which is a little bit of a miracle in itself because I've spoken to numerous people, including medical people, and 
uh, I could have been killed, severely burnt, but not a scratch on me. Very lucky. Yeah, extremely lucky, but obviously I have had psychological damage, which I've had ever since then, unfortunately. Yeah, of course. And so you know, we're kind of six months on. We're actually we're actually actually nearly ten months since it happened, and I am um, yeah I'm still on antidepressant medication. I have had night recurring nightmares about the whole thing. Um, I had a ringing in my ears, like a metallic ringing in my ears, for about three months after the event, which slowly went. Um, the doctor actually said to me at the time that that would probably go. And what, if, you know, you've been sent a bill now, haven't you? Can yes. You tell us a little bit about <laughs> kind of what happened yeah. there. Yeah, now I've had a, a, an invoice from UK Power Networks for £24,000, <coughs> which, you know, we would try and draw a line under it, the family, but unfortunately we received this bill about middle of August and um, asking for the payment which I think is a bit of an insult to be honest with you because you know it was on my brother-in-law's private land and the fact is that yeah I could have been killed um, and it wasn't through any negligence of us you know we I've done this sort of job like countless times in the past and never have I come across anything like this before in my life you know let alone be expected to pay <laughs> that amount of money for something that purely wasn't our fault well this is what a UK power network spokesperson had to say we were concerned to hear of this accident and our first thoughts were for the welfare of the customer our engineer who attended was a trained first aider and also advised him to attend the hospital this incident underlines the importance of planning ahead before you dig as electricity cables and other utilities can run underground we recommend that all works of this type are undertaken after consulting cable plans and use of a CAT scanning tool. We do claim costs for cable repairs after third-party damage and did so within the required timescales. We have not received a claim from the customer in connection with this incident and would review that if we received one. Kent Online News. People living on an estate in Sittingbourne with a notoriously bad signal, and I'm sure you can appreciate how frustrating that is, have welcomed news that a 5G mast could finally be built there. Three have unveiled plans for the 15-metre tall mast between the Jenny Wren pub and Staplehurst Road in the Meads area. A decision should be made by November the 1st. A famous Rochester pub is having a £1.2 million revamp and reverting back to its original name. The Crown has been on the high street since the 1700s and was bought by brewery Shepherd Neen back in 2019. When it reopens, it'll be known as the Royal Crown. And a swan's been rescued from a lake in Greenhithe after being attacked, would you believe, by his own parents. A territory dispute's been ongoing since February and wildlife experts have stepped in to protect the birds. The youngest one, who's been named Sydney, was released in another area of water near Crossways Boulevard. If you head to Kent Online today, you can see video of it. Now, with less than 100 days to go until Christmas, we've been catching up with some of the stars of one of Kent's pantos. Peter Pan will be taking place at the Hazlitt Theatre in Maidstone this festive season, and Matt Montfort will be playing the lead role. It really it gets 
everyone in the Christmas spirit. It gets me into the Christmas spirit. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a good family night out for everyone at Christmas time. I think it's what we need at that time of year. Um, and it's just, it's good fun. I don't know anybody that goes to Panto and leaves not having a good night. Joe Malloy is Mrs Smee, the Dane. There is going to be a child in that theatre. It is their first time watching something on stage. And to be a part of that is just magic. And that is always one of my favourite things at Panto. You see these kids and they've never seen anything on stage and suddenly all these bright characters are coming out and, you know, and they really believe it as well, which is just, it's just lovely. That's, that's my favourite thing ever. And what's the best thing about the Dane? The Dane is like the best character I think. The best thing about the Dane, you're very kind for saying that. Uh, the best thing about the Dane for me, well, I, I just think she's a staple of the panto, isn't she? I mean, if you're going to a panto, uh, you want to see this large and large character. Apparently, they're played by a bloke. I don't know. It's probably that interaction with the audience, actually. You know, I, I just think she's great. She breaks that fourth wall and talks to them. That, and that, I think, is my favourite moment. When I'm just on stage by myself talking to everyone, that's that's my favourite bit. There we go. Uh, it was a long-winded answer, but we got there in the end, didn't we? Yeah. Rhea Turner has played a baddie for the last two years and is looking forward to being a goodie this time around as Mia the Mermaid. My favourite thing about Panto is the audience participation and um, especially with this company, the freedom you get to, as Martin said, like mess around because it's so fun. If you have the right company members and the right actors, you can just have such a laugh as long as you like keep it contained. But it's nice to be able to, you know, just switch the script up and every show be different. That's my favourite thing. Now, this is set to be the theatre's most expensive panto production yet. Bosses are hoping to break their previous record of 19,000 ticket sales. Kent Online Sports. Football, and it was a disappointing result, wasn't it, for Gillingham at the weekend. They were beaten 2-1 at Doncaster Rovers, which means they dropped to second in the league two table. Here's reaction. First up from manager Neil Harris. It is gutting, you know, let's be honest. It's a game that we've, we've you know, they're pretty on the eye at times and, and try and keep the ball. Um, um, but barring, barring the odd moment of opening this up a little bit and shape, shape again, shape that there was... You know, that didn't cause us loads of problems. Um, we, we just had chance after chance after chance over the course of the 90 minutes. Um, what's, what's my gripe? Two goals. The two goals. The winning goal was a great strike. Everyone's just seen the picture of the winning goal. It's poor from us on a set on a, a set piece, on a restart from a throw-in. Our organisation's really poor, bad, bad communication from the players. Um, but then it's a great strike in the top corner. Um, but before that, we've had, what, six, seven, eight sitters and I'm talking absolute sitters um, that I'd fancy be walking, walking home with the match ball so it's, it's disappointing um, I can't fault the lads for, for effort or desire or um, we, you know, we changed shape today because personal that wasn't available um, and and you know we just we just was, we wasn't clinical enough in the final third that's it we look back at the game we think we played really well at times um, and we, we, we tried to build the play in the first half and, and their shape dictated it was, it was tough to get through them so we played a little bit more direct and, and we absolutely bullied them um, and, and we got into the final third countless times either on the regain or playing higher up the pitch and, and just off the top of my head I can think straight away of five, six or seven chances we've had clear cut chances in the six yard box and haven't scored um, and I'm not just talking about centre forwards I'm not talking about McCordy Bond who had a couple and, and Nico's had header onto the bar but Connor Marston scored one, but it was two sitters. Shad Hogie in the last seconds hit the post with a free header from a yard. We, we as a group just have to be more clinical. Um, the, the pleasing thing is that we've made a lot more chances. Um, you know, last Saturday was, was excellent first half, made those chances. Um, 
the goals, just 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 put goals today. And just I asked us today to be as as classy as we was in the first half last week, which we was at times, but then to be League Two like as well, and to be a top League Two side. And top League Two side don't concede from set plays, which we did. You know the wall's not done its job, and this, the second one's a great strike. We, we just switched off, switched off in front, organised quickly enough. Connor Masterson did score for the Jills, and he spoke to media manager Phil Catrick after the match. Obviously, it's tough, you know, last few minutes conceding like that. But um, I thought we actually played well overall, and we deserved more from the game. But that's just football. Sometimes we have to learn from it. I think we had enough chances during the game. I just think we need need to put the ball in the back of the net. Simple as that, and uh, yeah, just have to work on it in the training pitch and learn from it. You had a couple yourself, scored right at the end of the first half. Looks to me as if you'd, something you'd worked on before. Yeah, we worked on it on the training pitch, and so like obviously it's great for it to come off. And uh, I just want to dedicate the goal. My old coach in Ireland, uh, Jared Desmond, died during the week, so I just want to dedicate the goal to him to, today. Really sorry to hear that. Thanks, thanks for that, Connor. Um, obviously, I know you'd be disappointed not to get anything out of the game, but can you take at least some heart from the fact that you're creating plenty of chances? Yeah, listen, I thought, like, last week against Morton, it could have been five or six. We were playing well. We just, like we said, we just need to be clinical and just put teams away. And when we do that, we're, we're top side. It's obviously tough to take today, but we played well. We didn't play bad. We're still second in the league. We're not, like, it's not like we're <laughs> struggling or anything. So we just have to keep the, you know, not too high, not too low, as they say, and... Uh, keep focused and then another big game next Saturday. Meantime, the Gillingham boss has set quite an ambitious target as they look to attract the best young players in the county. Neil Harris says he wants to see at least 25% of the first team squad made up of academy graduates. Well, a new coach has been hired and a B team is in place this season to try and bridge the gap between youth football and the senior squad. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. You can also get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.